the king of my heart Be the mountain where I run The fountain I drink from Oh, he is my song Let the king of my heart Be the shadow where I hide The ransom for my life Oh, he is my song You are good opening this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Sunday mornings we're studying the essential doctrines of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And currently we're considering the doctrines of the church of God. What is the church of God? Who belongs to it? How it should function? What its mission is? So we're considering a number of these different truths that are related to the church. And this morning we're going to look at the specific requirements of those in places of leadership in the local assembly. We have some clear teaching on this, and this may not be a teaching that uh, people are going to jump up and shout hallelujah, but we've found out that the local assembly, the church of God, and, and as a local assembly, we are a manifestation of that universal church. Everyone who is a member of the body of Christ that has accepted Jesus as their Savior We all belong to the same church, and we all have the same mission. But the local assembly is where these gifts of ministry are manifested and where they have an opportunity to do what they were intended to do. Jesus, the head of the church, he's given certain individuals gifts for the edification of the church. And we need to understand the the order that God has planned and he has commanded for the local assembly. We have been entrusted with this, tr- this truth, this gospel, this good news, 
The only message that can save anyone and reconcile them back to their creator. It's the only message that there is, the only message that God the creator has given for reconciliation for his creature that has rebelled against him. Faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus paid the debt of our sin in full, and we have forgiveness of sins when we accept that free, gracious gift of salvation. We have been given that message. We are responsible to share it with the world so others can come to know Jesus so that they might be reconciled back to their creator and have this, this hope of eternal life. This is how important our message is. This is how important church is. Today, there are so many that just reject the importance of gathering together as a local assembly, and that's not important anymore. Well, according to the Word of God, it's essential for us to grow together, to encourage, to receive, as Brother Sam prayed and as, uh, as a reference to Scripture, that we might be edified, that we might be equipped to share this truth with others. And when the, the leaders, the pastors, the elders, the teachers do not heed, and when congregations do not seek out this kind of leadership that we have described for us in this, this third chapter of 1 Timothy, then things get out of whack. We don't conduct ourselves in a way that we can successfully share this message with a lost and dying world. And so it's important. Again, it may, may seem like technicalities and, well, why are we talking about this? It, it's fundamental. It's the foundation. And if you begin to take away the foundation of a building, it doesn't matter how big and beautiful the building is, it's going to collapse. And we've seen churches, congregations, even denominations, because they remove these foundation doctrines from their teaching and from their practice, then we see that the very message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is no longer effective. In fact, it brings reproach to God. The world laughs and mocks when things are out of order in the church and when there's sin and carnality that, that we, we say that we have the truth, we have the gospel, but look how they live. They, some Christians live worse than the most ungodly person that you might know. And sadly, that's true at times. So we need to pay attention to these specific requirements for those in places of leadership. So let's read this passage. It's a rather long passage this morning, but we need to get the full context here. First Timothy chapter 3, and we'll read the first 15 verses here. And as we read this, keep in mind, when we see these requirements, we need to understand that there's not two standards of living one for the pastor, elders, the leaders of the church, and another for the so-called laymen of the church. That pastors, they have to conform to this standard, but, but it's okay if the rest don't. No. God has only one standard of godliness for his children, and it's the same. But for those in places of leadership, these requirements, these virtues, these principles that we're going to see, they are required. For all of God's people, it's necessary. If you want God's best, you need to also pay attention. So, so this is a lesson not just for pastors and teachers and evangelists, but for all of us, but to understand that a congregation needs to look for these kinds of leaders in the local assembly and to understand that there are no perfect pastors. 
If I thought that was a requirement, I wouldn't pretend to stand up here and think I could do what I'm called to do. But it is required that when we fall short of these things and that there's a desire, I want my life to reflect these things. I want this, the Holy Spirit to, to do these things in my life. And you should desire that same work. And when we fall short of that, because we do at times, that there is a desire to repent and to return to obedience, not just ignore it and say, oh, well, we're grace saints and it doesn't matter. It does matter. So it's also important to understand that when we read these things, you might scratch your head and say, well, I can never be that kind of Christian. To understand that the Lord is the one who will do the work. He will equip you. He will change you, whether it be for a place of leadership or whether it just be to simply live the Christian life. All he's looking for from you is not your intelligence, not your ability, but your willingness to surrender your will to his will. And if that's your desire, the Lord can do this transforming work in your life. First Timothy 3.1. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior. We'll look at each of these virtues, each of these requirements. Hospitable able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, the unsaved, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money. Remember, these deacons are servants. They take care of the physical and material needs of the congregation holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. They know the doctrine and they live it. But let these also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband, husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Why did Paul write these things? Verse 14. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. So it does matter how we conduct ourselves, how the local assembly is governed, how things are done in the local assembly. And again, the, these, these are fundamental truths, and this is why there, there's so much error and carnality and reproach among so many of God's people, because these things aren't even taught in church anymore. We need to understand what this is here for and what it means. First of all, Paul says those that desire 
the, to be in this place of leadership in the local assembly, that they desire a good thing. Well, last week we, we found out that these gifts of ministry are not to be sought out as a career. You don't just choose it, but they are a calling. These are gifts given by Jesus to the body. And so you just don't decide one day, as so many have over the years, I'm going to be a preacher because I think I can make some money that way and I can do that. And so why does it say they, those that desire? Who should desire the office of bishop, pastor, teacher, those that have been called to that place? We mentioned last week how Moses, he was called to a place of leadership, wasn't he? But he didn't desire it, not at first at least. The Lord had to convince him, I will be everything for you and to you that you need to be, but I've called you. And so you should desire, desire that place. And so those that desire such a place, and as a young person, I never sought to be a pastor. I never sought to be a missionary. I didn't grow up thinking, oh, that's what I want to do. One day, I just, as a young person, I was saved as a child, grew up in church, heard all of these things all my life went to Wednesday night Bible study, Sunday morning, Sunday night. That was my life. But there came a time when I was a young person when the Lord made it clear, Doug, Jesus died for you because he loved you. And that love conquered me, overwhelmed me. And from that point on, I just wanted to do whatever I could do to honor the one who died for me. I wanted to give my all for the one who gave his all for me. And little by little, that, that love and that desire, I want what God wants for me. Then when he call, called me, that's when I could respond and say, this is not what I want. This is not what I choose. But I want to do what pleases you. And so that desire came. I wanted to be the best kind of, I started out teaching in Sunday school. And I think I had two two students at the time. And... The Holy Spirit impressed upon me, you teach those two people with the same fervor and passion that you would teach 200 or 2,000 people. That, that's always been the impression that the Lord gave upon me. That's your responsibility. You be faithful in the small things, and I'll, I'll be faithful to supply everything you need to be what you need to be. And so that's the desire. It means to stretch oneself, to reach, be what God wants you to be, whether that's a pastor or whether that be a teacher in school, or whether it be someone at work that, that is an example to those that they work with. Stretch yourself to be. Reach for what God wants you to be. That's, that's the thought here, the desire. And though there are a lot of differences doctrinally, whether women can even teach or any of those things, I believe that God does give gifts to women to teach publicly. I've got a track on that. If anyone's interested, someday we'll have a lesson on that. I do believe that God gives women the ability to teach publicly, even to men. But I also believe that it is clear that it's God's order for men to be the head of the families, spiritual heads of the family, and to be the spiritual leaders in the local assembly. I believe that Paul's addressing here makes that clear as well. That position is not a position of superiority, not in the family and not in the local assembly. It is a matter of order so that all things are done decently and in order. And so let's look at these specific requirements. 
Those in places of leadership must be blameless. What does that mean? Well, literally, it means not arrested. (laughs) In other words, not guilty. Since being saved, now, remember the Apostle Paul, before he was called to be the Apostle of the Church Age, he was a blasphemer and a murderer of Christians. But after he was saved, he lived a life that was blameless. And it just means that since being saved, those in places of leadership must have a reputation of doing what is right, not have a character of something of those that do things wrong, contrary to God's instruction. The husband of one wife. This, again, is always an argument. I believe it is a prohibition of polygamy because that was still prevalent when Paul wrote this. It doesn't mean that anyone who's been divorced shouldn't be an overseer or a pastor or a place of leadership. But it does mean, because when you read Paul's teaching, you understand that there are scriptural, some scriptural license for divorce and remarriage. They are limited, but there are some that God says are acceptable. But it does mean this requirement means that those in places of leadership must honor the marriage commitment and be faithful to their wife. Vigilant. The word vigilant means to be sober or temperate, not controlled by carnal passions. To be vigilant means you watch over your own attitude. You watch over what you say and how you say it. You be vigilant. You be sober. And then the word sober that we have in English, but in the Greek, it has the thought of a sound mind, to have good judgment. This is essential for those in places of leadership, to judge things in the light of the Word of God, to judge things as God judges them. We all know our own flesh, and we all know our tendencies to have opinions and to often voice them without thinking. If it pops in your head, it comes out your mouth. Those in places of leadership can't have that kind of reputation. They need to be temperate. They need to be sober of sound mind and of good judgment, of good behavior. It means to be orderly or modest. If their own life is in constant turmoil and confusion, how are those in places of leadership going to oversee the order that God demands in the church? He says, let all things be done decently and in order. <laughs> but if, if those in places of leadership, if their life is a mess, um, they're not going to be successful in doing that. And again, so what's the end result of that? The message of the gospel is being hindered. It brings a reproach to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why it matters. Given to hospitality, it, seems, it simply means to be a lover of guests. That's something that is it's not just a personality. Some, some people are just more gregarious than others. But this is a, a work of the Holy Spirit to, to truly love to minister to the needs of others, lover of guests, apt to teach, another essential requirement, skillful in giving instruction. This is why not everybody's called to be a teacher. Not everyone's called to be a pastor because not everyone has this gift, this skill. That is not education, it's not intelligence, it has nothing to do with, with puffing up the individual that receives the gift. It is a gift of the Lord Jesus Christ for your good, for your benefit, for your 
spiritual maturing. And then we have this, again, for some, a very controversial requirement. But it's here. What does it mean? Not given to wine. Not addicted to wine or in any alcohol is the thought here. Leaders in the church should practice total abstinence, I believe, is what the Bible teaches from drinking alcohol for a number of reasons. Number one, the pure testimony. If you go out to a restaurant and you see me drinking wine or whatever alcohol drink that I want, you, you don't know whether I'm having one little sip. You don't know whether I'm going to be dead drunk by the end of the night. You don't know. The testimony. Abstain from all appearance of evil, the Bible tells us. So number one, that should be the number one reason. But also, we understand that the Bible teaches that drunkenness is a sin. I think we can all agree on that unless you're going to start ripping pages out of the Bible. Drunkenness is a sin. And you say, oh, well, that's when you can't stand up straight. Drunkenness means that your judgment, remember we're supposed to have good judgment? Your judgment is impaired. Secular science tells us that it takes very little alcohol to begin to impair one's judgment. That's drunkenness. That's a sin. And that's why God's people, I believe, again, there's not two standards. I believe God's people should abstain from all use of alcohol. Not to mention all the medical reasons that are coming out more clear every day. But from the, from the biblical standpoint, for testimony's sake, that I might not bring reproach to the gospel, but that I might give opportunity for others to know the good news of Jesus Christ, not given to wine, not a striker, not prone to physical violence. Uh, some people are. <laughs> I, as far as personality was concerned, I, I never got in fights. I always tried to to cozy up to the bullies and win them over with my jokes because I am not a fighter. But some people, they do have that natural tendency just to respond with violence. That, that, that's not appropriate for those, for, for any of God's children, but especially for those in places of leadership because if a pastor has that tendency, he's going to fool around and poke one of the saints in the nose sooner or later. <laughs> that can't be something that is acceptable in a leader. Not greedy, not fond of dishonest gain. Sadly, I've known some pastors over the years that they failed in this area. They would lie. They would cheat in their business deals and with, with those outside. And they thought, well, you know, they're unsaved. I can take advantage of them. <laughs> I don't know how a person can have that mentality and be in a place of leadership and not know that that's not according to the word of God. Not, not greedy. Patient. That means to be appropriate and mild. Don't just respond. Don't just react to situations. We know that's our tendency. That's, that's my flesh, to just react, how it makes me feel when somebody says something that they shouldn't say or when they attack me. I, I have a knee-jerk reaction, too. I just want to retaliate, but I must patiently seek the Lord. How, how do you want me to respond for the good of the congregation and for the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, that's my responsibility as a pastor, but that's also something God wants to work in you. Patience, not a brawler. That is not contentious, not looking for a fight, but a, being a peacemaker. We all know people. 
They just want to debate you. They just want to argue with you. But that's not what God's called us to. We are to share the gospel. We are to share sound doctrine, but not in a contentious way, not in your face. Just to, again, people, I have seen people turned off from the gospel because there have been some well-meaning Christians, but they were brawlers in their way that they presented truth. So may the Lord help us not to be characterized as a brawler, not covetous, not loving money. Don't do it just to gain money. And we mentioned, I believe, last week or the week before that you turn on the so-called Christian channel and you see all of these famous evangelists and preachers, and it becomes clear after several investigations all the millions of dollars that they are stealing from God's people just to have one or two jets or whatever it is that they want. They do it for the money, and they make it pretty lucrative. But if you don't understand it's a calling that one day you have to give an account to the true shepherd, then you're going to fall into those traps. But when you understand the responsibility that comes with these gifts and the accountability to the one who gives them, then that's something that will humble you if you truly believe it. It'll cause you to fall on your your knees and on your face to say, Lord, I can't do this apart from you. I need you daily. Rules well his own house. Again, this pretty common sense here. If you can't rule your own house, how in the world are you going to keep order in the local assembly? And this is something I've taken seriously all of my life, and my children can affirm my diligence in this. But it was in my full understanding of my accountability and to be an example to everyone else in the congregation. And each of you, in your responsibilities, those that are still raising family and those that are ministering to their families, their adult children, this should also be something that weighs on you. I want to to show the world that as you look at the confusion and the broken homes and, and all the things that, that those who don't know Christ and even those many Christians that do know, but they don't know these fundamental truths, you, you see the confusion and the destruction and the division in their families. You need to be an example of what God can do. And again, it's not so you can boast or look, look at my family. No, that you can point to the grace of God. Because he's the one who's given you the wisdom and the direction. And when you've fallen short, and you will, if, you, if you're breathing and you have a family, you're going to mess up. I didn't hear a lot of amens there, but you're going to mess up. I've messed up. But if there's a desire, Lord, I want to do what's right. He'll bring the healing. He'll bring the wisdom and the direction. So may this be our desire as well. Not a novice. And this is such an important, there are so many churches that they bring people in, they get saved, and to keep them in church and active, they'll, they'll put them in a place of leadership, a teacher or a youth leader or whatever, just to make them feel good, and so they'll stay in church. That's not God's pattern. Leaders must have a proven reputation of faithfulness to the truth, to the Lord, and that takes time to be able to see whether they're going to truly lay hold whether they're going to truly be an example of what the believer should be. Because for their own good, 
Too many times you put a novice in a place of leadership, they do get puffed up, like Paul says. And, oh, I love the authority. I love the position. I like people looking at me. I like people listening to me. They get puffed up, and then they begin to forget why they are in that place in the first place. It's not for your exaltation. It's not to puff you up. It's to point people to Jesus. And so it takes time to be able to observe whether someone's truly going to be dedicated. And that's, that's not only true of leadership, place of leadership. That's true for those that are looking for lifelong mates. This, it may be love at first sight, but you let there be time to establish a reputation. They truly have a heart for the Lord. Doesn't mean that they're perfect or that they never fail, but they truly want what God wants for their life. That takes some observation of a good report. That means to have a good testimony among the unsaved. It is important how the world looks at us. Oh, they may laugh at us. They may mock us. But may they never be able to say that we're a hypocrite, that we say one thing and we live another. May we have a good report. I've worked in construction all my life, and I've worked around some of the vilest individuals in construction that you'll ever find run into a couple again in this church project that we're doing. And they may mock me, but at least they, they know what I stand for. They know what I proclaim because they see me live it. That's what God wants of all of us. But once again, it's required of those in places of leadership. Now, I say all of this, and you say, well, you know, Brother Doug, you're preaching to yourself here, and I am certainly. But as a congregation, someday, Lord willing, I may not be here for whatever reason whether I retire or the Lord takes me home. And if this congregation is going to continue to be what it's always been, I thank God this congregation has been an example of these godly instructions in the congregation. Brother Freestone and the elders that were with him from the beginning, they've made sure that this congregation was built on these foundations. But what about the next generation? How are they going to know how to build the church, how to run the church, how to administer the church? if they don't know the instructions. And so this is given for the next generation as well to understand that there is a reason for these things. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. And I'm already going to have to bring it to a close here. But just so we understand, I'll close with this thought in 1 Timothy 5 verses 19 and 20. To know that pastors and elders and teachers, they are to be held accountable for their conduct and for their life. We've all known of different ones over the, over the years that were very good preachers. I mean, excellent preachers. You can, they're entertaining. And there apparently were some results. And I believe there were results, not due to them, but due to the faithfulness of God to feed hungry hearts. But there are those that would preach and good preachers, and then they live a life of sin and carnality when they get out of the pulpit. And I've, I've heard that those that have had that reputation have also said, well, I have the gift, as if that was a license. In fact, they, they, they said, I have a calling, therefore I can do these things and still do them, as if it's a license to live however you want. They don't understand that such a position of authority and leadership is a place of accountability, and they have said, well, they used the Old Testament where David said he wouldn't kill Saul. Well, don't touch God's anointed. Well, don't touch God's anointed. You can't, you can't 
hold me accountable for these things. This is the New Testament, and this is God's order. 1 Timothy five nineteen and 20. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except for two or three witnesses. In other words, it needs to be true. Don't give in to gossip. Oh, did you hear what the pastor did? <laughs> did you hear what he said? Did you hear how he treated this one or that one? I've heard all of those whispers in the years that I've been a pastor. Don't accept them by hearsay. But if it's true, two or three witnesses establish the fact, those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. Anyone in a place of leadership, teacher, Sunday school teacher, pastor, proven to be unfit for ministry, even though they've been given the gift, they need to be removed by other faithful, godly men. That's God's pattern. Why? So that all things are done decently in order, so that the world sees that we live what we preach, and that what we preach is the eternal word of God that transforms lives and gets us ready for the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll stop there this morning. Let's stand and have a song in closing.